It's great to be here with you this morning, uh, whether you're here on our Canandaigua campus or online campus, we are continuing our series, Kingdom Living Volume 2. Uh, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and, and we're working our way toward the end. We've got a few more weeks, but uh, I'm excited about what we've been able to already look at in this amazing message of Christ. Uh, you find it in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5 through 7. And of course, it gives us the clearest picture of, of really the Christian counterculture, uh, of anywhere in the New Testament. And, and so it shouldn't surprise us since Jesus uh, is talking about sort of the culture of his church that he talks a lot about relationships uh, within uh, the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, we're going to be looking at our relationships to one another a little bit this morning and uh, as well as our relationship to God and how that all works together. But I want to share this with you. I came across this quote on relationships from an unknown source and it reads like this. Love is spending the rest of your life with someone you want to kill, but not doing it because you'd miss them. That's not funny. That's not, well, it may be a little funny. But, but I liked it because when I read it, I thought it really points out two truths about relationships. First of all, how messy they are. And second, how necessary they are. Their relationships are both messy and necessary. In fact, God created us to be in relationship with him, but also with each other. That we've been created for relationship, that we're relational creatures. And, and so Jesus is going to talk a little bit about the messiness of relationship and how we are to work together to sort of help us become the best we, ourselves we can be, the best me I can be. How you can help me, how I can help you. And what's the proper way of doing that? But before we do, I just want to say this. Nowhere in Scripture is there an anticipation that the Christian community will be perfect. Can't find it. I mean, there's an ideal picture of it, what we're striving for. But nowhere in Scripture is there an anticipation that a bunch of people coming together as a church family will be perfect. In fact, sometimes I've talked to people who have yet to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, you're inviting them to church, and they say, I can't go to church, I have too many issues. And I'll say, well, come and join us, we have issues too. We can have issues together, and we can help each other and grow together. And that's the picture of the church, that we're not perfect, but we're being perfected. Now that is the expectation, that we're on journey of becoming more like Jesus, but that won't be complete until Christ returns. And so we understand that if relationships are messy, but there's times where people will act poorly, there's times where there's tensions, there's times where there's relational problems. And so listen to Jesus' teaching this morning. It begins in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at, start off verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let me say this. This passage has been mistaught, misunderstood, and misrepresented way too many times. And so let's, let's clarify here what Jesus is talking about. What does Jesus mean by judge not. You say not to judge, not entirely. 
Some have looked at it that way. Some have looked at this passage as a prohibition of judging the actions of others. And I just want to say that's not the case. That Jesus is not commanding believers to suspend their critical faculties concerning other people. It's not a call to turn the blind eye to the failings of others. And our Lord is not calling us to avoid all criticism or refuse to discern between right and wrong. That just wouldn't make sense. So Jesus does not prohibit making moral judgments. In fact, in John 7, 24, listen to what Jesus declares. He says, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. So he says to judge. Here he's saying, do not judge. There he says to judge. Obviously, it's not judging in general that Jesus condemns. So what does he condemn? Well, Jesus does forbid a harsh, judgmental spirit. That's what he's talking about. A harsh, judgmental spirit. Believers are not to be fault finders who are negative and destructive towards other people, enjoying actively seeking out the failings of others. Have you ever been around someone and you believe they think their spiritual gift is finding the fault in people? Like, what's your place in the family of God? I'm an encourager. What's your place? Oh, I've got music gifts. What's your gift? Oh, I like to find fault in people. You know, it's just not a gift. It's not what the family of God should look like. Jesus forbids that. A harsh, judgmental spirit. And why shouldn't we judge harshly? Why shouldn't we judge others in that way? Well, Jesus shares it with us. First of all, God will judge you with the same way you judge others. That's sort of sobering, isn't it? You ever been judgmental? Come on, we've all been there. That sort of wakes you up to go, oh, Lord, change my heart. God will judge you the same way you judge others. See, there is a God and we're not him. And human beings are not qualified to be the divine judge. Not only are we not God, but we're actually among the judge, right? We're among those who God looks at and knows. See, you should be more concerned about judging yourselves, Jesus teaches. Now, let me be careful here. When I say judge yourselves, you're not to judge yourself harshly either. Ever been your worst critic? Ever say things to yourself that you know uh, the Heavenly Father breaks his heart? I remember one time driving down the road and I was talking to a friend and I forget what I said, but something about how stupid I was about something. And he said, and I just had a, our first child, you know, uh, she was probably not even a year old. And he said, how would you feel if she grew up and she talked to herself that way? And it cut me in quick. I thought, man, that would break my heart. And he goes, how do you think your heavenly father feels when you talk about yourself that way? What you did wasn't smart. See what he said there? He didn't justify that what I was th- feeling dumb about wasn't a dumb thing to do. He said, but you weren't dumb for doing it. You just did a dumb thing. There's a difference, right? So we don't want to, when I say that God, that, that um, we are to be concerned about judging ourselves, I don't mean harshly, I just mean honestly. Jesus tells us this famous parable, and I love the imagery there. Because he talks about, you know, a speck in someone's eye, and you're trying to get it out, but you have this huge log in your eye. I mean, it's, it's a funny word picture. But what Jesus reveals is that we're unfit judges because we're fallible humans. We're not perfect, and we're fallen humans. We're still marred by sin. John Stott shares this simple truth. He says, we humans, we humans have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of our own. Isn't that true? Man, they're messed up. We we exaggerate the faults of others and minimize our own. After all, you know your own sin better than anyone else's. 
right? If you're to be honest, you may not share it with other people. You know your own failings. You know what you're struggling with better than anyone else's. And it's hypocritical to care about other sin without dealing with your own. Now, I want to be careful here. It doesn't mean that until you're perfect, you can't help other people because you would never be a help to anybody. It just means that you're working on yourself so you can have an honest approach of helping someone else. That word hypocrite Jesus uses is interesting here because it's used in an apparently positive act. How many of us in here, if you had a speck in your eye and someone could get it out, wouldn't feel grateful if they could, if they did? So the problem isn't taking the speck out of the person's eye. The problem is the attitude at which someone's doing it. The fault isn't in helping others, but in doing so with an inflated ego by not paying any attention to the own log in your own eye. Have you ever been around someone that you know is great because they tell you? You know? Man, you're an amazing person. How do you know I'm amazing? Because you tell me every day, you know? And some people live in such a way that they have no problems, no faults. Every That's not helpful. That doesn't mean you have to lay everything out before everybody. There's too much information too, right? But, but there's this reality of being real and understanding who you are in Christ. And I'm growing, so I want to help other people grow. There's a humility that comes from that. Take, for instance, the, the, the ego of the Pharisee that Jesus talks about on one occasion. A Pharisee who comes up and he, he says, Lord, thank you that I'm virtuous and not a sinner like this tax collector. And, and, the, and the story Jesus is sharing, like this isn't a parable, like this is happening and, and, and like the, the Pharisees there, and like the tax collectors right there. Like, can you imagine what he was thinking? You know, I'm glad I'm not like you. And that would be a person who's not understanding the log in their own eyes because Jesus says, hey, Pharisee, the kingdom of God is for the tax collector. <laughs> that was probably eye opening for him. Not an arrogant person like you. You can't help others with their sin, if you're not first addressing your own. Again, it's not about being perfect. Paul says, look, I'm still on journey. I'm still growing. I'm not perfect yet, but follow me as I follow Christ. And no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, we should be able to say that to others if we're in Christ. He said, what do you mean follow me? Follow all my actions? No, follow me on the journey of following Jesus. I, I, I may not be able to teach you how to be perfect in this area, or perfect in that area. I may not even know what your struggle, your struggle may not be my struggle, but what I can do is live in a way to say I'm dependent on Jesus, and if you follow me, you'll learn how to be dependent on him too. And that's what Paul's talking about. That's what, as believers, we're challenged to do. God calls believers to help others rather than harshly judging them. Jesus calls us to care for one another. Once we've recognized and dealt with, with our own eye trouble, then we can see clear enough to help somebody else. Again, Stott rightly notes, he says, the standard of Jesus for relationships in the Christian counterculture is high and healthy. <laughs> high and healthy. You say, well, Craig, you said that the church is, doesn't have this anticipation of perfection, no, but we do have this high and healthy standard. <laughs> We're moving toward Jesus. We're, we're moving to greater health. We're becoming more and more the person that God's created us to be in Christ Jesus. In fact, we, we, we need to be as critical of ourselves as we would be of others and as generous to others as we desire them to be to ourselves. Jesus continues, Matthew 7, 6. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. Let's say trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. 
That is some amazing teaching right there. Can I just say that? He's just talking about not judging harshly. And then he, he uses the terms dogs and pigs, which appears harsh, but Jesus just never mentions, mentions words. And he, he's talking about the fact that sometimes people treat the things of God with such disdain that we, we shouldn't force it upon them. Not everyone's grateful for criticism. Not everyone wants to be helped. And even some people who want to be helped may not want to be helped by you. That's just the reality. We find this in Proverbs, Proverbs 9.8. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Let that sink in for a minute. The person who acts foolishly says, I, I, I'm okay with who I am. Leave me alone. I don't want to grow. The wise person says, if you can be a help to me, if you see something that I need to work on, let me know. Now, by the way, that's usually within trust. We live in a culture right now where it seems like a lot of people feel like they have the responsibility of telling other people that they're not doing what they would like them to do. Now, that's not what the scripture talks about. There's trust. How many of you handle criticism better if it's someone you know loves you? Trust. But remember, Jesus doesn't condemn judgment in general. It's that harsh judgment. Believers are meant to help one another through encouragement and, yes, correction. We should all be in a relationship of trust, whether it's one-on-one, small group, where we have people who can speak into our life, where we've given permission to say, help us grow. Help us grow, and we grow together. What about those who refuse to be helped? Well, Jesus is pretty clear about it. It's essential to realize that you can't force people to receive the gospel. Now, by the way, who is Jesus writing to when I say receive the gospel? I'm not talking about those outside the family of God. I'm talking about those inside the family of God. That's who Jesus is talking about. The gospel isn't just for those outside the God. It's not like we come to Jesus and don't need the gospel anymore. Come on, church. We come to Jesus and we start understanding the gospel. His spirit starts teaching us. And so there are some people who, who just... They don't want to hear it. And if they don't want to hear it, you can't force them. Ever want to force someone to hear the good news? Ever have a, a person who you just love and are making bad decisions and you thought, if I could just force them to make a good decision? You can't do it. We're not to engage those who treat the gospel with contempt. Jesus, speaking of those who are of the chosen people, when he sent out his disciples, he said, if you go to a town and they don't receive you, leave, dust off your feet, head off elsewhere. He's not saying that he doesn't want them to hear it. What he's saying is there's a lot of people who do want to hear it. And so if you have someone around you you're trying to help and don't want help, guess what? I guarantee there's a whole lot of people who need help that want it. Help those who need help. Pray for those who don't want help until they want it. And then help them. Come on, church. We're to understand the supreme value of following Jesus and God's word. Jesus is not telling us, by the way, to act impatiently or unloving toward people. We, we don't need to grandstand this thing. We just need to, to give people a, a repeated opportunity to respond to the gospel. But, but Jesus is sharing an exceptional situation here. It's an exceptional situation where a person has been given plenty of opportunity to respond and they've just turned their back on the truth. Again, the, the thing is here, we're not just talking about those outside the church. We're talking about the church itself. There's something... Here's what is amazing. There are some people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but they don't really want to follow him. 
They say, yeah, I'm a believer, but I don't want to follow him. It's inconsistent, but Jesus says, don't have anything to do with that. You can't force it. Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, in Titus 3.10. This is his instructions. He says, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. What's he saying? He said, take the initiative to resolve the situation, be gracious, but if the person isn't going to move on. Don't camp in the, in the miserable. Don't camp in, 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 in another person's mess if they're not trying to clean it up. You say, do you give up on them? No, you pray, you care for them, you love them, but you just can't put the energy of trying to force help upon them. It's just not going to go anywhere. You say, Craig, how do you know? Because I've tried. I've tried. It just doesn't work that way. And by the way, I've been the unteachable person at times too in my life. And I can tell you what, until I finally woke up and said, I need help, no one was going to help me. They would have tried, but they couldn't. I have a right to make that decision. If I want to be foolish, I can make that decision. (laughs) Come on now. Have you ever made that decision? Okay, let's move on. And Jesus moves on. He's talking about this relationship with fellow believers. He's talking about how do, we, how do we help each other grow? And will we take care of our own self? We were honest about who we are so we can be in a health path, at least, to help other people. We, we don't try to force help on people. If they don't want it, they're, they're not going to get it. And yet you want to be loving and caring and open when they do. And then he talks about our relationship with God. Verses 7 through 8. Asking it will be given to you, seeking you will find, knocking the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Now as I said, the passage we just looked at is often misrepresented, mistaught, misunderstood. This one's right along with it. Right along with it. Uh, this idea of asking and seeking and knocking. And by the way, Jesus is sharing God's promise to answer prayer. The believer is to ask, seek, and knock, and every believer who asks receives, who seeks finds, who knocks the door will be open. But then Jesus continues. Look at verses 9 to 11. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, there's some flat-out plain teaching there. Jesus shares God's principle in answering prayer. We understand that even human fathers give good gifts to their children. How much more will God give to those who ask? Now, by the way, he's talking about the normal father. A father who's not perfect. You go, well, how do you know he's not perfect? Well, Jesus says, if if those fathers who are evil, (laughs) far short of who God is, give good gifts. Now, he's talking about, what do you say, Craig, ideal and and normal? I mean, unfortunately, there are fathers who don't know love and don't express love. I hope you didn't have a dad like that. But if you did, this may be hard for you to listen to, this passage. But he's saying most dads, if the child asks for bread, isn't going to go, here, go gnaw on a piece of stone. Isn't going to hand him a serpent. 
It isn't going to happen that way. My kids need food, they're getting food from me. I'm going to provide in any way that I can to, to help them out. If it's a grandkid, they're going to get more than they need. It, it's just the way it goes. Just the way it goes. You know how to throw that in there. But it's just, it's just, it's just sort of the way it goes. But he's saying, listen, if, if, our, if, if an earthly father can do that, how much more than God? How much more than God? We sang a chorus this morning. But said, if, if grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. I mean, think about it this way. Believers' prayers are transformed when they remember that they're praying to an infinitely kind and loving Heavenly Father. When our understanding of God is growing, it's expanding to realize that if God is, is infinite, and he is, and all-knowing, and has, is all-powerful, and he's loving Think about the, 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 the love of God. I mean, it's beyond comprehension. Even using the image of an ocean is small for God's love. And so when we, when, we, when we understand that if it's on our mind, it's on God's heart, that transforms the way we pray, church. It transforms the way we pray when we realize that God, he wants to... To, to work in our life, not just for our good, but for his glory and our blessing and the benefit of those around us. And, and yet we're to understand that this promise is in context. There's, there's a context of the seeking and the desiring, and that's asking for God's will, trusting in God's love and wisdom. This is the biblical condition to answer prayer. Believers ask, seek, and knock in confidence, knowing that God will answer their prayers in the best way for them. That it's a blessing that, that God's answering of our prayers is conditional to what he knows is best for us. He gives us only good gifts meant to glorify him, benefit us, and others. And you say, Craig, what are you getting at? God doesn't always answer us in the way that we suggest. I've had people say, God's not answering my prayer. I say, well, no, I know he's answering your prayer. What do you mean he's not answering your prayer? Because God answers all of your prayer, by the way. He says, well, he's, he didn't do what I asked for. Oh, that was an answer. <laughs> that was an answer. And, and here's the reality. None of us, I don't, you don't know the end from the beginning. God does. And sometimes his answers, to be honest with you, it takes us through some tough territory. Sometimes we pray prayers and we say, God, we want this, but we don't think of the ramifications of what we pray. I call them dangerous prayers. God, I want to be patient. Teach me patience. God, help me love the unlovable. He takes us through rough territory to get that. Those things are only taught through the crucible of fire. And so we pray this stuff. You know, God, your will be done. And, and so I, you've heard me saying, I still am a great suggester to God in prayer. I pray over a friend, and I was praying for a friend this week. I said, Lord, it would be beautiful if you worked in this way. But your will be done. And, and often I'll pray, and Lord, make me okay with your will being done. <laughs> let me not just say your will be done, but let me say your will be done and be okay with your will be done. You're God and I'm not, and you know what's best. And that challenges us to ask, do we really believe he's good and loving? Because if we do, then his will is always received as best. When, I, when, he, when he answers, and it's not the way I want it, it's like I'm frustrated with it. I go, Lord, forgive me for, 
not truly embracing how good and loving you are because you give good gifts, even though sometimes good gifts are hard gifts. When you were growing up, ever had to learn a hard lesson? Not because someone was mean, but because they loved you so much they wanted you to learn it. God is a good God. Then Jesus sort of sums up this teaching of praying, and you can sort of see what he's doing here. He said, you know, how do we help each other, and what do we do with those who don't help? And, and, and when we're praying, God, please help us. Help me, help me work in my life so that I can help other people. He gives us this great insight to wrap all this up in verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law in the prophets. This is a summary of sorts of, of Jesus' teaching on how do we love our neighbor in Matthew chapter 5, but it's also the capstone statement of this section of Christ's teaching dealing with relationships. We're to do for others all the things we'd want them to do for us. Loving others in this way is only possible because God has filled us with his love and has empowered us by his spirit to love other people with the love he's poured into our life. Such love fulfills the true meaning of the law and the prophets, which means the whole Old Testament. That's what they had. No New Testament yet, not written yet. The Old Testament. He says, do you want to understand the teaching of how to live for God and care for each other? Follow what we call what? The golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. A person who lives by the golden rule will relate to others rightly and in, in dependence on God. And, and I, the reality of it is I'm a simple person, so I like simple principles. And I'll have people say, I'm in this situation. How should I react to that person? Well, the golden rule. React to them the way you would want them to react to you. Someone does something boneheaded, right? Just something really dumb. And you're just like, you want to blow a gasket. Not you. Maybe I'm the only one like that. I get it. How, how, how? How would you want to be treated? Because I've certainly done some things that lacks uh, wisdom too. Flat out dumb. How would I want to be treated when I do that? Well, that person should know better. I knew better most of the time I did dumb things. My parents uh, taught me better. I just didn't listen to the teaching at that moment. Ever been there? Do unto others that you have them do unto you. Well, that person doesn't want my help, and I want to help them, and how do I treat them? Well, you can't force them to accept your help. You've got to move on and help other people, but do unto them as you would have them do unto you. I mean, any scriptural principle. That person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Well, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. See how simple the principle is? See how hard it is to do it? See why we have to have a lot of Jesus on tap? See why we're dependent on him? Well, what a simple principle in relationships. Any of you out there married? Ever did something or said something to your wife that you would never want them to say or do to you? I don't know how God has gifted you. He's gifted me with an ability to have a really quick response to anything. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm good at it. Uh, when, when I was in school, you know, you would, you would do the put-down game. I mean, it really was a game, and, and I was super good at it. And I had a friend say, I wish I could think as quick as you did, as you can. 
And you know what I learned? Not a good thing most of the time. Like, I've learned to take a breath before I respond. You say, man, ain't you out there like that? Like, I envy those of you who don't think real fast. You say, that sounds like a put. It's not. My wife is one of them. She processes. I'm not a processor. I think on my feet. And I tell you what, when I do a good one, it is amazing. <laughs> and when I do a bad one, it is horrible. <laughs> like, it comes out and I go, Whoa. Just stop for a minute, Craig. What would you want done to you? Why don't you do that? Relationships are both messy but man, so necessary. I stand before you saying I am the product of what God has done in my life and others. I still today need God more than anything else, but I need others too. We're truly created to be in relationship with God and others. Our relationship with God, our dependence on him, is what empowers and guides us to relate rightly with other people. And here it is, church. The Christian community is a family. It's, it's a family of God. We must relate to God as our Heavenly Father, but that means we relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. Now, we do this while not neglecting sharing the good news with those who have yet to receive Christ in the hope that they will receive Christ. But if we truly acknowledge God as our Heavenly Father and fellow Christians as brothers and sisters, it's inconceivable that we would be anything but caring and constructive toward them. They would understand at verse 6, this, 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 you know, this person who, who doesn't want help at all and how we sort of have to move on from that. That's the exception. But if that's the exception, then verse 12 is the rule, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Simple principle. Need to be dependent on God to live it out. But I believe with all my heart that if we put ourselves in another's shoes and desire for them what we would want, we would never be mean but gracious. We would never be harsh but kind. We would never be cruel but always compassionate and merciful. That's the picture of the family of God. That's the image that the world needs to see. I believe that's at the heart of Christ's prayer. When he says that when the world sees the way that the church loves one another, they'll understand why I came. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us be that church. Help us be that place. Help us be those people. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, uh, thank you for, for loving us so generously. My mind is, is just trying to wrap around that line in that course that if your grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. and. What an overwhelming thought of, of how deeply, how profoundly, how endless your love is for us. And Lord, that's the love that you want to infuse in us by your spirit so we can love others in your name. Lord, I, I believe we, we all understand how messy relationships are and yet how necessary they are. Well, we laugh, but we, we understand that, that quote from the, from the unknown person was just sort of laid there, no, no, no name given, and maybe no one wanted to take credit for it. But understanding what, that, that love of, of just 
living with someone you want to kill or being around someone you want to kill, and yet knowing you, you don't because you couldn't live without them. And that tension that just happens in relationships. And yet I'm reminded of how, how profound your love is that your scripture says that even when we were turning our back on you, you died for us. That's the love that you want to give us for others. Help us, Lord, to, to take the breath we need before reacting so we can do unto others what we would want them to do to us. Help us be those people filled with your strength, your power, who understand right and wrong, who, who still are able to, to come alongside someone who's messed up and say, look, I love you, but, he, but here's a better way. But to do it in a way that we'd want them to do that for us as people growing in Christ who, who want to be the best version of us that we can be. And Lord, thank you that as followers of yours, that we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about condemnation, but we're already accepted by you. That gives us great freedom in our growth process in Christ. Because we don't have to do it out of fear. We don't have to do it out of frustration. We get to do it out of the joy of seeing you work in and through our lives. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, whether on the campus, uh, online right now, or even throughout the week, Lord, that in the quietness of their heart, maybe this is the time. They say, oh, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I need you. Thank you for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation. I want to journey with you. God, thank you for loving us so profoundly and giving us this great ability to gather this morning, to be able to study your word, to be able to, to declare our dependency on you and how great you are, Lord God. So that as we scatter in just a moment, that we go into the places where we live, where we serve, where we work, where we go to school, and take your love and message as well. In Jesus' name, amen.